Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this outside of a Little League field in Palo Alto, California, just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants, and this being the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin. It is Sunday, and I am here at a Little League field as we're in that wonderful vortex in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I'm looking here, this is, the, there are a bunch of like, I'm gonna say crows, maybe they're crows, they're, they're black birds. They're Maltese falcons. A whole bunch of Maltese falcons have landed on this field, which is, you've probably heard one fly by. The field is in decent shape. A few puddles here. We've had some rain. Southern, you know, we here in Northern California, we need some rain. Now, there is a tremendously contradictory visual that's happening here at this Little League ballpark. One is... Well, it's, it's, it's several. It's several fold. It's a beautiful ballpark. I've done several podcasts from here before, and no one's playing on the field. And the you know the field looks like it's kind of closed, and maybe they're doing some maintenance. But you can hear some sounds of baseball. There is a batting cage not far from the field, like like in the parking lot, and there's some people are taking batting practice. So you hear the ping of an aluminum bat and everything like that. So yeah, there is some sounds of baseball. And, oh, hey, look at this. This is un- unscripted. I'm looking at a, a baseball. It looks like it's chewed up. It's an effed up baseball with some of the, the stitches all messed up here. I'm gonna leave it here, but it's right here beyond the wall. It looks like the ball that Roy Hobbs hit the cover off the ball. So you hear, like, I'm, I'm missing baseball. I'm looking at this great little league field. I'm hearing some of the sounds of baseball. It's making me a little wistful, a little longing for it. And I see there's a couple of kids here with, looks like their parents, and they have their, their, their gloves. Looks like they may be playing a game of catch soon. So, hey, this is one of the beauty of California. I think it's great about California. And one of the reasons why so many baseball players come out of California is you can keep playing. You can keep harnessing your skills. Here it is. It's, it's the middle of December, and we're, you know, there's a little bit of baseball that's going on here. It's great. But here's where part of the contradiction is. In the parking lot of this Little League field is a big uh, Christmas tree kind of, what do I call it, paddock? No, that's where you keep raptors. Uh, like a Christmas tree showcase where people have, like, have all these trees lined up and people are buying the trees and putting in that little weird net thing and tying it onto the top of their car. Now, uh, that's not something that we do in my house. Do you know why? Because your pal Sully's allergic to Christmas trees. I can't have a real damn tree in the house, so I have to have an artificial one. And to me, I've never felt like I've missed out on any of the joy of the holidays by having an artificial tree. It just means now that I'm an adult, once a year i got to pull that son of a bitch out of the garage, assemble it, stick it up there, put all the tinsel and crap on it, look at it for about three or four weeks, smile, be filled with uh, tidings of goodness and joy, take it down, and call it 
uh, call it a holiday season, and wait for 11 months later. So we have this here. So you have Christmas and baseball sort of all wrapped into one here. The anticipation for Christmas and the missing of baseball happening in one place while a bunch of blackbirds, who very well could be crows, but I don't know enough about birds to identify them, I'm sure my kids would know, happening here in Palo Alto. And so naturally, I'm standing here, I'm standing on kind of a little brick wall area here, underneath the flags that are flapping, and having that little contradictory feeling here, because I love baseball. You may have noticed that. That's why I do a 366 baseball podcasts in the year 2016. And I'm going to do 365 more of them next year. You may have noticed I've taken a shine to the sport. But on the other hand, I love the Christmas time. I do. I love it. I love the happiness. of. I love the joy. I love the connection I have with my family, my friends, and with you, my fellow podcasters. Some of you who listen to me, you know, I'm going to do what I'm on when Christmas comes about. So you got them both happening at the same time. And I figured, hey, why not bust this out and record myself a podcast and record a Sunday request, no less? Because there's an interesting thing about emotions, about baseball emotions that we have, that quite frankly, I thought would be worth doing as a Sunday request. So let's go, let's go find, where, where is this thing here? Here it is. Now, this is from a, comp, uh, a, uh, a conversation that, I mean, it, it started as a tweet to me. Now, a, a frequent contributor who tweets at me a lot, I've done several of his Sunday requests, his at Swamp Pudlian, I don't know how to pronounce that. He said, don't worry, call me Jeff from Delaware. Fine, Jeff from Delaware. That's what I'm going to do. Well, he was having a, he tweeted something at me, and it turned to a conversation with Beth Richardson, um, who goes by Beth Rich 52. She's now nasty Beth Richardson. And they went back and forth about the concept of team. Is it basically is it worse to have a team that comes close but fails or a team that always sucks? And the Beth Richardson wrote, what do you think is worth worse? Many years of being too terrible to make the postseason or to make the postseason and have heartbreak. And so Jeff from Delaware and Nasty Beth Richardson kind of combined on that question because it evolved from their conversation. And to me, that is a fascinating philosophical question of which I have a little bit of perspective on. Now, going by what I talk about on this podcast, which is the rule of seven, which is you don't really start following a team and getting memories of a team and of the sport till you're around seven years old. And I think that's a pretty good, solid rule. I think that that's a, I think that's if pretty darn close to being ironclad. And I think when you look at my baseball watching experience, I was really too young to appreciate what happened in 1978 to the Red Sox and blowing the Bucky Dent game. I knew the Red Sox existed. I knew who the players were. I even liked watching the games. 
but I didn't quite understand how the playoff system worked or the World Series worked. I just thought everyone played their games, and at the end of the year, the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Yankees, and the Royals all get together and play the postseason, and that's how it worked. It really wasn't until the next year, 1979, that I followed the Red Sox day in and day out, and I understood what a pennant race was, and I understood that everyone, theoretically, has a chance to win the World Series if they win enough games and qualify for the postseason. Well, between 1979, when I really started watching baseball at age 7, and 1985, when I was a 13-year-old kid with zits on my face and still loving baseball, but also really loving movies in a, in a very, very powerful way, I saw the Red Sox play a grand total of zero postseason games. That's 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85. The first seven years of my watching baseball, the first seven years resulted in zero postseason appearances for the Boston Red Sox. And remember, they went from 1975 to 1986 without playing in the postseason. Now, it was harder to make the postseason back then. The 1978 Red Sox would have been a wildcard team. And there were several other Red Sox teams along the way that would have at least been contending for a wild card had that existed. Especially in 1983, when they were in contention along with the Brewers and the Orioles, or that's 1982, until they faded out down the stretch. Well, maybe if there was a wild card, the Red Sox may have been a contender with that, especially the fact that the Brewers would have been in a different division. I slightly digress. I didn't experience much heartbreak then. To me, the Red Sox were exactly what I knew them to be. They were a team that was good. They had some big stars on it. They would inevitably go on a nice run at one point during the season, and they would inevitably fade out. And it would still be fun to follow them. They had players like Jim Rice and Dwight Evans, players like Butch Hobson and Carlton Fisk, players like Wade Boggs and Tony Armas, who were all fun to watch and hit big homers and everything like that. But you got the sense that they weren't quite as good as the teams that could potentially win the pennant. But it was still fun to watch them. And you were the stars that you could attach a certain amount of emotion to. Now, there wasn't a lot of pain. There wasn't a lot of suffering. But there also wasn't a lot of jubilation. There wasn't that sense of, oh my God, they could win, oh my God, they could win. Something that I did not experience until the 1986 season. The Red Sox didn't have much of a pennant race. The Blue Jays were on their heels throughout August, but eventually Toronto faded out and they won the division uh, pretty handily. And then the Red Sox had the 86 playoff, which people remember the Dave Henderson homer. They didn't remember the fact that there was agony the night before when they were one strike away from tying the series at two games apiece, and Calvin Schiraldi hit Brian Downing with the bases loaded to tie the game and lost it in the bottom of the 10th or the 11th inning. That was an, and, the very, and they had to play a game the very next morning, which turned out to be the Dave Henderson game. Those games back-to-back were astonishing in terms of their 
the heartbreak, the emotions up and down and up and down for both teams. Absolutely, the Angels nearly won it. And the thrill and the agony of going through games four and five in Anaheim was, an, was a new emotion to me. It, um, it, was, it was the Stargate unlocking something that I'd never experienced before. And this was after watching baseball for years and years and years to experience that, not in theory. Oh, I had watched exciting playoff games up until that point. But to have my team and my emotions behind it, both for the good and the bad, was something I never... I, I, it was the difference between theory and practice. It was the difference between reading about something and experiencing it. It's the difference between reading about love and being in love. It's like that great scene with Robin Williams and Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting when he said, if I asked you a question about love, you'd probably read from a sonnet. But it would never match the experience of what being in love is. I don't exactly remember the words, but it's, it, that was along those lines. As I'm leaning against this fence right now at this Little League field, I can tell you that while it's happening, it's painful when you see heartbreak in the postseason. I've witnessed heartbreak in the postseason. I truly have. Not just as a Boston Red Sox fan, where obviously 86 ended somewhat horrifically, and there was heartbreak in other years as well, maybe not as acute, but there were years that I look back and I remember those one-run losses in the 1988 playoffs against the A's, and I remember some of those calls that went against the Red Sox and the fact that they couldn't drive home the tying run in games one and two of the league championship series against the Yankees in 1999, the two one-run losses at home to the Indians in 1998. I remember, obviously, the Aaron Boone game is something that was almost as devastating as game six of the 86 World Series. While those happened, they were devastating as a Red Sox fan. And there were other games that I felt heartbreak as well when I adopted certain teams. <clears throat> when your team isn't in the postseason, you find yourself pulling for this team or that. I remember the Indians losing the 97 World Series. I was rooting for them big time. I was so crushed by the Francisco Cabrera hit, you would have thought I grew up in Pittsburgh. But I loved those Pirates teams. And in fact, the year before in 1991 was almost as heartbreaking as the Cabrera hit as the Pirates were one Andy Van Slyke swing away from the World Series and couldn't quite get it home as they were shut out twice in Pittsburgh to end the league championship series. That was heartbreaking. I felt it. I felt it for the Phillies in 93 who I was rooting for when Joe Carter hit the home run. The, the Carter home run has since become one of my favorite baseball moments, but at the time I was rooting hard for the Phillies to win. And those moments become devastating for the teams. It becomes dev Francisco Cabrera is a devastating memory for Pirate fans. Just like 
drawing Bumgarner and Arietta in the wildcard game has been devastating for Pirate fans later. And in 2013, they were one Andrew McCutcheon swing away from going to the League Championship Series. And who knows how deep they would go. I've seen heartbreak with Los Angeles Dodger fans. Seeing some of the, the chances that they've blown and the fact that they've been blessed to have Clayton Kershaw's prime and have that equal, exactly gotch in terms of World Series appearances. I get it. Those are painful while they happen. They feel tragic while they happen. But I would argue, do you know what's worse than heartbreak? Is indifference, is stagnancy. My memories of those years with the Red Sox, and I'm sure for Pirate fans, their memories of Van Slyke, you know, getting the called third strike by uh, Alejandro Pena or the Francisco Cabrera single or Bumgarner and Arietta shutting down wonderful seasons in one game or Andrew McCutcheon not driving at home and being shut down by uh, uh, Adam Wainwright for the clincher. I'm going, to get, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that those stick in your mind more than 1993, 1994 through 2012 when the Pirates were totally irrelevant. I can rattle off all those years with the Red Sox. I have a harder time with 1997. I have a harder time with 1992 years where the Red Sox were totally irrelevant. I'm here in the Bay Area. I know the Giants as well as most Giant fans do. And whether it's Candy Maldonado sliding and letting a ball bounce over him in the 1987 National League Championship Series or a damn earthquake shaking, literally shaking up the World Series in 1989 or a couple of walk-off games by the Marlins in 1997 in the playoffs or winning 103 games and being fabulous down the stretch in 1993, but the Rockies just laying down to the Braves on that final weekend and winning 103 ball games and missing the playoffs altogether, losing the West to Atlanta, the geographic western city of Atlanta in 1993, of Dusty Baker handing the ball to... Uh, Russ Ortiz, and then seeing the Angels come storming back in 2002, or Pudge Rodriguez holding onto the ball with J.T. Snow crashing home, and the day before when the Giants were one swing away or one strike away from taking a 2-1 series lead against the Marlins and having Pudge Rodriguez hit a two-run single to win the game on the same night that a ball clanked off of Jose Cruz's glove. This is heartbreak. This is devastation, and it's also emotion. And here's a little hint and a little insight. We don't always crave the good parts. We like the weepy parts of movies. We sometimes watch movies or TV shows knowing that it's not going to end well. How Breaking Bad was a huge show. People loved it and watched it. You knew from episode one this was not going to end with Walt with his family hugging each other and being happy. You knew this was going to end up as a tragedy. 
what what extent the tragedy was going to become, well, that all depended on how it unraveled. But you knew this wasn't going to have a happy ending. How the opera exists so people could hear beautiful music and a sad ending. Sometimes we like the sad endings. It's the, you know, if you watch something and nothing happened, or you're just watching something that stinks, it's about a bunch of losers and they get, they just wake up, they go to work and they come home. You know, I mean, you're, sure, you could point to a couple of movies or something where nothing much happens in that light, but there's always something, some sort of subtext. It is better to see your team and to get that emotion, that emotion of, I think it could happen. I think it could happen. Because at one point it might. If the Red Sox had won the World Series in 1986 and then also won it in 2004, I don't know if 2004 would have felt as good. And I don't know if I would have appreciated 1986 as much. Now, that being said, for the people on the 86 team, they would have said, yeah, Sully, that's nice. I wouldn't mind having a goddamn ring from that year. I know a lot of other people had already lived through 67, 72, 75, 78, and all those years with the Red Sox. And they were fine and primed, and they didn't have to wait for me to catch up with them. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But to sort of go over the main question here that was brought up by... Jeff from Delaware and Nasty Beth. I guess the real answer is I think it's worse to just not be good enough to be a factor. I think it's worse because you're denied the emotion, good or bad. You're denied that sense of even fleeting hope. You're denied being part of the celebration and being part of the moment of thinking, am I going to see it? Am I going to see it for real? Yeah, sometimes it's a kick to the groin. I I got so behind the Oakland A's in 2014. And if you listen to this podcast, to the, I was doing all year, especially when I realized the Red Sox were out of it. And friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle, became more of a friend to the pod, more and more of a friend to the podcast. I wanted that A's team to win so badly, you would have thought I was born and raised in Alameda County. And for the first half of the season, they were spectacular. Second half of the season, a little shaky. Found their way into the postseason and played an absolute classic against Kansas City that ended with the heartbreak of the ball going past. Josh Donaldson, and a lot of bad things happen, and next thing you know, it's the Royals who are celebrating and not the A's. And a lot of people, including friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle, felt really sad at the end of that game. And a lot of my A's fan friends were devastated, and I was crushed myself. And then 2015 and 2016 came and went with the A's not contending, not really being in it, an A's game just was an A's game. They were fun to go to. I went to my share of them. And they had a couple of exciting games along the way. But in the end, there wasn't the emotion attached to it. And what I'm saying is this isn't just a Red Sox fan talking. This isn't just any person talking here. This is trying to understand a little bit of our human nature. We watch baseball to be entertained. And 
entertainment isn't always the good guy wins at the end. You watch it to be thrilled, to have your emotions go high, to have your emotions run low. But baseball doesn't end when the season ends. It's not the end of the movie. Another part of the story happens the next year. Now you could have a happy ending to a season, as the Cubs have this year, as Kansas City did the year before that, San Francisco the year before that, Boston the year before that. Yeah, I want to go back until I hit a Red Sox championship. Didn't have to go back that far. Each year plays up to the emotion of that. Each year builds to whatever you feel towards that happy ending or to the frustrating ending for each of the teams that came up short. Cleveland, the Mets, the Royals, the Cardinals. Think about the Royals. Years and years of absolute indifference. Losing seasons, boring teams, nothing comes about it. And then they had the year where they won that A's matchup, got all the way to Game 7 of the World Series, and got to within one swing of winning it all, only to see a pop-up to Pablo Sandoval. And the very next year, made up for it with those winning five games over the Mets. Now ask a Royals fan, where did you get more emotion out of it? Did you get more emotion out of those indifferent years between 1985 and 2014, where there's only a handful of winning seasons altogether, or watching Perez pop up to Sandoval. And there's a logistical, just a logical reason for that as well, beyond the emotion of, oh, I'd rather be engaged than disengaged, is you don't get to that point. You don't get to postseason heartbreak without winning games along the way, without being good along the way, without having thrills along the way. Think about the teams that had early exits from this year's postseason. The Mets, the Orioles, the Rangers, the Red Sox. Those teams won zero postseason games. Zero. None. Zilch. They got to October, and I tied them in postseason victories. And yet, Ranger fans had thrilling victories this year. I'm a Red Sox fan, and I saw great victories from the Sox this year. Orioles and the Mets had thrilling wins along the way. Wins that just got their entire fan bases jumping up and down, having that emotion, saying, could it be? Could it be? It could be. This may be one of those years that we remember forever. Maybe it's not. Or maybe this will add up to that happiness. Or maybe you'll never experience it. But open up your heart. It's better. The heartbreak is better than stagnancy. Because at least you've allowed yourself to love. And with that thought, I'm going to leave this Sunday request. And hope I answered that the best I could. As I'm hearing the popping of a glove, the ping of the bat, and the putting together of Christmas trees, and a wonderful contradiction of emotions in your pal Sully's heart. 
So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sunday Request for the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. I hope I didn't break your heart, and you can call me Sully. <laughs>